Hi, and welcome to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. Every week we watch a movie and sit down here to talk about it. I'm Mel. I'm Katie. And we're your hosts. This week we watched Nightcrawler, directed by Dan Gilroy and released in 2014. The plot of Nightcrawler goes a bit like this. Lou Bloom is a hustler desperate for money who fast talks his way into the world of LA crime journalism, pushing the boundaries of ethics to become the star of his own story. To which I made the most excellent joke, it's about ethics in crime journalism. Yes. Um, yeah, so Nightcrawler, as you probably know, if you know anything about movies, is about a not very nice man. But um, if you don't want to be spoiled for the movie, then turn back now because we will be talking spoilers. Uh, yes, and that would be is a good way to go into this movie because I went into it knowing nothing about it. Or I, I suggested we watch it because there was a lot of buzz around it, but that is the only thing I knew. See, I'd heard a lot of Taxi Driver. Oh, um, taxi okay. driver type comparison. So I basically yep. knew what I was getting in for to a certain extent. I didn't. <laughs> um, but also, like, in the very first scene that he's in, literally the first scene of this movie, I sat there watching it and went, oh, he's going to kill somebody. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's going to kill somebody. And and I kind of got that it was about paparazzi from the trailer. So I pieced together, oh, he's going to go into paparazzi. And then I thought he would kill somebody for a story, which is kind of not entirely what happened. But I think I was pretty on the money for the first five minutes of the movie. You were on the money. I didn't get it that early. But as soon as we met Riz Ahmed's character Rick. and R- Renee Russo's character, I was like, oh, God, she's going to die. Oh, God, he's going to die. I was spent the whole movie waiting for – first I thought she he was going to kill her and then I thought he was going to kill – well, Rick. And I knew the exact moment when Rick signed his death warrant too. Like there's this moment, you know, when they're talking yeah. in the car and there's a moment when he signs his death warrant. Yep. And, when they're and, parked in the cul-de-sac. Well, yeah. I was and thinking- Jake Gyllenhaal looks back at him and you're like, that's the moment that, that he decided to kill him. Uh, yeah. I was thinking he – I was actually thinking when he was waiting on the side of the road and he gets into the car, I was just like, don't get into the car. You're never going to get out. <laughs> but it was one of those things where we, where it's – like, it's a tragedy, so as soon as he walks into that coffee shop and sits down, you're like, he's doomed. Yeah, yeah, I understand that, but there was a moment when, not not when we knew, but when, like, there was a moment when Lou knew he was going to kill him. Yeah. I thought it was played really well. I think Jake Gyllenhaal was really, really good in this, which I like because it means that people are going to finally notice him as an actor, because up until now, people have basically thought of him as, like, the new hot guy or whatever. Yeah, he, um, he kind of like creeps up or perhaps plays a little bit disabled in this one and he makes himself ugly all this all this kind of oscar bait which is why i think it's had all this buzz around it because that's what that's the buzz the buzz is like oscar buzz around jake gyllenhaal yeah well i i I think there's a um the the thing is the 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 question that the movie is posing is is sort of who would do this job yeah right yep yep so you've got a couple of different options for who would do this job you've got bill paxton's character who by the way i think bill paxton is turning into one of the best character actors in i know right like he is just doing his job he's He's really really good in everything i've seen him in lately um so he was in edge of tomorrow this year where he was terrific and then this and then he's a kind of really sleazy kind of fast talking guy um Mm. who does it you know for the money and but not he's the kind of guy we associate with doing this kind of job the other type of person is someone like Jake Gyllenhaal, who is like, he's just completely lacking in empathy. Well, that's what I was going to say. Is, yeah. is Joe, which is Bill Paxton's character, wouldn't cross that line. Mm. Like, he's he's really sleazy and everything, but there's a line that he won't cross. And his line is he reports on stuff that has happened, whereas Jake Gyllenhaal's character is willing to engineer situations so that they happen. 
Right, which we which we sort of see towards the end more than anything. Like mm. at the beginning, he he sort of is more um, less engineering the situation to make it happen and more kind of just getting right up in it. Yeah, but even that is crossing the line that and and that's the thing is that you've got to think then who's not going to have any empathy. And it's going to be somebody who then doesn't understand how to navigate social situations, mm. right? Because he doesn't understand the social cues that are coming from other people. Yeah. So I think a lot of the stuff that like the disability type stuff is around that they're, they're sort of going, well, who is going to do this kind of job? And it's going to be um, and who is going to go to these extremes? And it's going to be somebody who doesn't understand, like who doesn't fully understand what other people feel yeah because the whole yeah because the whole point of bill paxton and him making money is that he actually understands the underbelly and the dark side of humans right he really Mm. understands people really really well and he knows that they love to stop at a car crash yeah exactly but he also yeah he also knows that line although i'm interested in lou bloom's motivation because he starts off and he's like selling copper wire and just hustling like stealing stuff and selling it on and fencing and things like that. But then he – it's not really clear why he pulls over at that first accident. He just sees, like, fire and sirens and whatever, and he just pulls over. Well, it's possible that he was looking for something to – no. You know, metal or whatever. Right. It, it or might just like that. been like, I'm, or just a curiosity thing. Yeah. Um, but also, like, the motivation, I think the motivation for why he, what interests him about the actual business is fairly clear because it's something oh, yeah. that, like, it, it appeals to his sense of, um, um, drama. No, no, no. His sense of, um, <sighs> there was something I was going to say and I forgot what it was, but it was, it's that thing in him that where he wants to, create a job for himself mm. like he wants to be a person with a a um a person with a goal right he's you know ambitious what I mean? yeah he's ambitious but yeah it's not just ambitious it's that it's this thing in him that he wants to he wants to have a goal and pursue it and be part of this world that he keeps listening like mm. looking up on the internet and stuff yeah. and all of that creepy positive motivational stuff oh that he the, says. yeah the business school talk see that's that's utterly fascinating because he, he's basically taken all that crap that people try and sell you with that sort of this is how you make money this is how you get it, it it's being, he's being sold the american dream you know you have to work hard and be ambitious and you know to, he, he's he's got these all these business school speak like I, I can't even think of any examples off the top of my head but he just parrots it like he talks about performance reviews and all this well, kind of he's, stuff. He's a, he's like a modern monster. Like yeah, the, the, very and the much. language of it, it's the same kind of idea that we were being kind of sold in the eighties. Mm. But the language around it is different. Now it's all about personal goals and personal motivation. And when you have a goal in sight, then you have to go yeah. after it and all of this sort of that's the kind yeah. of thing he's and, talking about, right? But yes. And ultimately and his obsession with negotiating even just the most normal human interactions. But he doesn't he just manipulates. Like he thinks he's negotiating, but he's manipulating, and it, he's like a real—he's really masterful at it because he's got no empathy, so hmm. he just does it, and he um, and he just always stays like super calm and collected in the face of you know humans with their emotions, hmm. and he can't—he can't cope with that. Yeah, it's pretty—it's this t- sort of the underbelly of the American dream kind of thing, which yeah. is. I mean, paparazzi in and of itself is like an underbelly of the American dream. It's the underbelly of Hollywood, but. He is sort of the underbelly of individualism. This, this like, this sort of myth that gets sold by these sort of inspirational speakers who 
go around, they're the only ones making money out of poor people who think that if they get inspired enough and work hard enough, that they'll be able to make it. I think there's something else that's going on here where it basically says, in order to actually do this, you need to have no empathy whatsoever. In order to actually be able to successfully do what they're telling you to do, you have to not care about other people at all. It, which is exactly right, right? Yeah. That's It's a very interesting sort of social commentary movie. Like the, He is just horrible and most of the people in this movie are pretty horrible except probably Rick, but they're – like that—that's of course the message. Like, well, it's not just terrible that. people. I think they're all like believably terrible people as mm. well. Although I think Rick is a particularly interesting character um, because I think he just—they do the whole thing really well, where he is somebody who is really in need of a job and he doesn't really know what he's getting into at first, but he kind of makes his own little niche in it, even though he keeps being mistreated. And mm. I just kind of liked his little character progression. Mm. And he actually has learnt something from Lou and he's still trying to get through to Lou. Yeah. So he's this kind of human, real human connection, mm. whereas Nina isn't really that at all. Um, she's not a really human connection. She's kind of from the world that he's that Lou's trying to emulate and get into. Mm-hmm. Um, so I liked – I thought Riz Ahmed was really good, but not – I mean, just Jake Gyllenhaal was so good. And he kind of – I think what happened was he looked at this character and you know how all the really great roles are people who give this interpretation of the character that make you think that there's nobody else who could have done it? Yeah. And I feel like Jake Gyllenhaal did that in this movie. Like his big – you know, giant eyes mm. worked so well for Lou's creepy kind of like mm. ma- mania, basically. When he's coming towards Nina in that room and he knows that he's got the trump card and he's all in shadow, that was amazing. Yeah. Like really amazing. And it's all just the whites of his eyes and his eyes are so big. And yeah. like the, the physicality that he lent to it with the hunched shoulders and, you know, sunken features and stuff. I think he kind of understood what Lou was Mm. and brought that to life in a way that was really interesting and possibly not something other people would have done. Mm. And there's also these moments of like, there's these occasional moments of relatability to the the way he feels about things occasionally and stuff that I I don't know. I thought it was good. I thought he was really good. Mm, I hadn't actually thought of it that way. So I I didn't think of it as being like something that he, that Jake Gyllenhaal had to do. Although I like that interpretation. He certainly disappears into the character, which is why it's getting so much Oscar buzz. Because he just he really transforms. Like he's a I good looking guy. I think he does guy. transform, but not disappear. No, he doesn't disappear. But he he. Oh wait, I did. I said that, didn't I? Yeah. Um, yeah. He. But he's so different. Like he's so becomes a different person. Yeah. That's not like this cute floppy haired guy that we see on the red carpet but i think he's using a lot of those things mm. that do work for him normally in this because it's that ingratiation stuff that yeah he does. big blue eyes and he's like his soft voice as well that soft gentle voice yeah that he uses to manipulate people with and that is my god and that you know normally really adorable lopsided smile i really like jake gyllenhaal and, <laughs> um but you know that really adorable lopsided smile thing that he does yep. is like super creepy in this so he uses yeah. what he and and the eyes and stuff he uses what he has you know what i mean like he actually uses rather than completely disappearing he actually uses the things that we've become accustomed to and liked and kind of turns them against us which i think yeah. is really clever that is cool. I, I thought he, I just thought he was terrific. I mean, really, like, mm. I think the, in this case, the awards buzz is earned. And I think mm. it's not just as simple as like going ugly or creeping up or whatever it is. It's mm. something that he actually used the, used the tools that he's got in his arsenal mm. to make Lou into the person that he is. 
Okay. No, that's it's interesting. I just hadn't thought of it. I was I think I spent this movie quite uncomfortable. I yeah. just I was very upset by all these horrible people. I was I don't know, I just felt horrible and I felt terrible that I was watching it, which is of course the whole point. It's one of those um voyeuristic voy- yeah, the voyeuristic type of things where you're watching essentially snuff films, like people in their most injured dying moments. And I so I felt horrible watching that. But I felt more horrible watching the people who create that and run with it. I was, I just felt icky watching it, and I felt icky when I came out of it, and I was like, mm, "People are horrible." And I, I, yeah, I think I was too busy uh, being swept up in that to sort of think about my cute little Jake. <laughs> See, I was, I was interesting because when I was watching that scene, the the scene where he goes through the house. Simultaneously, mm. I was like, "He is the worst person of ever," and wow, this is really great. Like, at yeah, the same and, time, and you don't I want him to get that. caught either. You're like, "Oh, oh no," oh. I was like, "He should get caught," but whatever. <laughs> oh, I was, I was like, "You, you, you, you're like, oh gosh, I, I hope he keeps filming because I want to know what happened here, right? Because we're not not given too many clues as to what's happened at this scene. We we know there's a shooting, we know there's a baby, and like, there's no baby. The woman's holding a child. No, there's no baby. Yes, there is. Oh, sorry. I thought you meant the. F- I got. I'm confused. Yes, I'm talking about the first time he sneaks into someone's house where he f- changes the photos on the oh, fridge. No, no, no. Uh, I was oh, talking yeah, about yeah, the- yeah. When he runs into. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh my god, the big finale that that brings everything down. House. Yes. Yeah. Holy crap. No, that was the moment when I was like, "Wow, this is really, really well done." Oh, and, it's oh my so god, tense. he's the worst person ever. Yeah. Like when the the guy is dying, like he's still alive on the mm, floor, and and Lou just leaves him there, mm. like. You know, and and later on, he kind of leads Rick into death. And you, but mm-hmm. yeah, there was that moment when I knew he was going to kill him, but it didn't seem quite as horrible as when he just left the dying guy there. Like it's that kind of he goes into these situations, and he's the first person there, and he does absolutely nothing good, mm, nothing, nothing to useful. help anyone. And in the same scene, the bit he the bit he edits out at the start, where he could have identified those people, given it to the police. But he he like he cuts that out in order that he can kill more like it, in the, ultimately it kills more people because yeah, he's see, trying to un- encourage I, them to do suicide by cop in a public place right I understand the motivation behind that I right? understand the motivation but it's kind of it, it's almost worse because he knows more people will die if he does that no I know that and and it is probably worse and yet it doesn't feel worse to me oh because yeah. I'm like I understand like. It's weird. Um, I understand why he did that. I'm like, well, yeah, that was a horrible thing to do, but he's doing that so that he can, you know, get more out of it. Mm. He's not going to get any more out of it if this guy dies or if he doesn't, mm. right? Like he said he went in to help. Mm. So if he just, you know, if he just goes, oh, by the way, there's a guy in there who's still alive mm. when he's going out of the place and the cops are getting there, like, mm. you know, it, it's not going to make any difference to him. Mm. I think that's why it feels worse to me because yeah. the other thing will make a difference to him. He's going to get a lot more money out of what he did, mm. which is to let the guys go and then track him down at a certain time and everything. He's yeah. not going to get any more money out of it if that guy lives or dies. Yeah, but also he has to run from the cops so they won't know that he's there. Like he but needs to get he, it to they the- They knew he was there anyway. Well, no, they didn't. He needed to get to the- um, He he left before almost before they arrived so that he could get it to the TV station. If he had been there, if they had seen him go, they'd have detained him. But they don't in any other situations- Seriously, they never detain yeah, him he, at any point. They in the don't movie. see. I don't. I'm not. I'm not sure they see him. They take off before the cops really yeah, arrive. Yeah, but I mean, even yeah. then, there's the, he still could have like could done have stopped something. or let them know. Yeah, 
like and, and as he's driving away, wind the window down. There's a guy still alive, and I don't know. It just yeah. it doesn't make any difference to him mm. whether he gets that guy some kind of help or not. <laughs> so yeah. it, that just seems like uh, I don't know. It's only me. <laughs> it's only me yeah. being silly that it just kind of bothered me more. All right, like when he when he it bothers me more when he doesn't do things than when he does. Mm. If that makes sense. It bothers me more when he doesn't do things to help than when he make, does things to make things worse. Yep. Uh, yeah, and I mean, also we should probably talk about the way he treats Nina in this movie. Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh my God. Like, it, that, I think that was the thing. I sat there through the whole thing wanting to punch people, especially him. He's just like, he, he's your classic nice guy. Mm. He does the nice guy thing right in front of and she even says, like, you can't force people to have sex with you. And like it's just horrible. No, she doesn't say that. Something what she along says. Those lines. No, but I only remember because of what he says back is so interesting. Because <laughs> she says you can't force your friends to oh, have that's sex it. Yes, with you. And he that's says, right. "Yes, I can." Because I think, as we both know, a friend is a gift you give yourself, which is that total kind of disconnect of empathy. Because yeah. a friend is a two-way street, mm. and he's seeing a friend as something that he is taking for himself. Mm. So yeah, I, that's the only yeah. reason I corrected you there is because yeah, no, that's I th- all right. No, it's it, so interesting. It makes what he does. it makes more sense, and it it sort of even more identifies this nice guy. Women are things I put coins into until sex comes out. Kind of mindset that he's been sold. I don't know that that's necessarily the case. Just because he doesn't really do that, he doesn't. He he isn't nice to her and expects sex in return. What he's doing is he's he's expecting sex in return for his product Mm. right he's expecting sex in return like he's like well i'm the best thing you've currently got going for you i know you want to keep your job because i've internet stalked you and therefore like if you want to keep your job then you must have sex with me yeah it's that obsession with negotiation yes exactly i i agree with you that nice guys are terrible i don't think that's necessarily what he is in this Mm. because he's not putting niceness tokens into her right like he's just expecting her to do things because he 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 sees it as as an exchange. Yeah, well, she's a, well, he doesn't understand, or he does understand, but he's just so totally like he doesn't care that it's actually something much much worse and deeper than that that mm. he's doing. He doesn't care about that at all. He just sees it as, and he does the same thing to Rick later. She's his mark, basically. Yeah. He does the same thing to Rick later when mm. he's like, "You took my negotiating power away," mm. and that's why he had him killed, mm. not because of anything else that Rick did, and not because Rick told him that you know he was a horrible person. Yeah, because <laughs> because, because he, when his techniques of control and manipulation don't work, it pushes him over the edge. Right, exactly. So that's that's really what it is: is that he's like mm. he doesn't see that what he he just sees what he does to Rick as like the logical outcome for what Rick did to him, mm. as if that's kind of comparable at all. You yeah, know? and and so the logical outcome of her refusing him is to essentially push her into a rape situation. Exactly. Yeah. It's 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 to like um use his power over her to make her have sex with him. Mm. That's what he sees the logical outcome as. Yeah. Oh, he's so gross. He is the way I felt so uncomfortable <laughs> through the whole thing. I mean, he's definitely a uh, contender for the worst person of the year award. Mm. <laughs> he's so awful. And he, you know, he he doesn't personally kill anybody. I think that's what that makes it worse. The fact that he sets up Rick the way he does, but he also sets up those cops and the people in that restaurant, mm. and even like e- even the um the hired guns. Like he just he he doesn't. It's it's worse that he makes other people do his dirty work for him. Yep. Um, so let's talk about a couple of the technical things about this movie. Because one of the ooh, things yeah. I loved about this movie was how well put together it was. Mm-hmm. 
Um, this is- so there's three things I want to cover in this particular section. Mm. Firstly, the music by James Newton Howard, <laughs> whose name I'm going to remember now because he's done the music for three movies this year in which we have commented on the music. Mockingjay. Yeah. Maleficent. <gasps> and this one. And this one is really interesting because I think the mu- music reflects Lou's mind. Mm-hmm. So not how we're supposed to be feeling, but how Lou is feeling. Yeah, yeah. Because it's this kind of cool rock star music and Lou's like, I'm so I'm so great. Mm. And then there's other moments when he's when he's kind of losing it a bit mm-hmm. and then the music changes. Mm. So it's it's really kind of clever in that it's reflecting Lou rather than us mm. and making us see how Lou feels rather than how we should be feeling, uh-huh. which is what scores usually do. They tell us how we should be feeling. So I thought it was terrific. And it's mm. this kind of cool rock kind of sound. Maybe that's why I came out of it feeling so unsettled. Yeah. Because it all went against that. Was the next thing you're going to talk about the cinematography? Because we watched her recently and that was like LA porn. And this is more LA porn. That opening shot coming behind the um, Griffith Observatory in the dark. Yes, and like, that was cool. And then we see it again, it do the same shot in the daylight. It makes LA and the valley look really cool and sexy in that sort of Chinatown noir way. Noir way. Yeah. The other thing is that I've noticed a kind of trend in that this year. Well, it really it does. It hits all the um the famous like Mulholland Drive and so st- all the all these certain famous shots of LA that it hits like in the opening sequence. Mm-hmm. That I think it's Mulholland Drive is that one that curves around and goes up into the hills. There's a Hollywood sign in there. There's the palm trees in Beverly Hills. All this stuff and they they reference things like Chinatown and um um oh god what's that movie called Sunset Boulevard. Yeah. Stuff. There's also a, a, a close up on this interesting shot right at the beginning that I remember where, um, it's, it's this fifties beach kind of scene and mm. there's a guy holding onto a woman's legs mm-hmm. and the woman is in this position where like if he let go, she'd fall. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> I only remember it because I was like, well, that's what this movie is going to be about basically. Yeah. Right? I don't, like, I didn't actually remember that. I was just thinking, oh, that's like, it's very, um, sort of Mexican. Um, so it's like, it's another part of LA, which is the Spanish side of LA. Yeah, I just thought because there's a close up on that. Yeah, so, yeah, and you know, it, they well, want you to take notice of it. <laughs> it's they put the cinematographer's name over it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so that was um, interesting. I also, yeah, there's a trend in that kind of cinematography this year. So like, Predestination mm. was very like night noir, you know, neon lights and shiny streets and all that stuff. Mm. And then both uh, the hardcore action movies, the Equalizer and the other one that I watched. There was another one that I watched and I can't remember what it was. But that's all been very popular this year. That's kind of like really sleek cinematography. Mm. What was the other one? I don't know. I I don't know. Expendables 3. I don't know. Oh, no, no. Um, John Wick. Oh, okay. Yeah, both ones I didn't see. Yeah. So those two, Mm. it's, it's John Wick especially, very, very sleek, very sort of, you know, deep blacks and nighttime and and all Mm. of this. I think... Nightcrawler does a particularly good job of it, mm. but it is it is it's really popular this year. Yeah. I know it's just something that like this yeah. kind of cinematography has really made a comeback this year. <laughs> yeah, and it is all in the dark too. It's just there's one scene at the beach where he steals a bike, and a couple of scenes of the early morning light, like the the time at which the news, the six a.m. news comes on, the sun's just rising, kind oh, of the early the morning magic hour. And the moment when he comes out of the station. Yes. And he puts the sunglasses on and he yeah. does that so I'm so whole, I'm so cool thing. And yeah. the other great thing about this movie is that he wins. Yeah, well. I mean, not that's great like thing. That's like the terrible thing about this movie. No, but that's what I mean. Like, it's so. <laughs> it works for him. Yeah, well, because that's right. It, it proves the thesis. That, exactly. That the only way to succeed in the American dream is to have absolutely no empathy at all. Mm. And the third thing I liked about it was I think it was, it, it was edited very well. It, it 
did this kind of slow burn thing. Mm. Oh, yeah, really escalate. Yes. Yeah. And the escalation is a really natural kind of progression. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you get that kind of more and more tense feeling and stuff I like mean, that's that. good storytelling as well. It's a good script, the yes. way that builds. It's a kind of technical aspect of script writing, I guess. Yeah, but also you do do that in the edit. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So there's a lot of I think I think it's one of those movies where everything kind of worked really well together. Good performances, good directing, good mm-hmm. editing, good music, good cinematography. All there yeah. was a definite vision that Dan Gil Gilroy Roy Notford Dan Gilroy. His, his name sounds familiar to me, and I can't. I think quite. I read he was a scriptwriter. Uh maybe yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, so which makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's it's a very good kind of combination of mm. various. Things I think he to wrote this too. He wrote and directed. Yeah, I have um, a feeling he might have written other movies. That's it's just one of those kinds of good. You know, everything came together to to make this. It's kind of got a seventies vibe to it, like the seventies mm. auteur kind of filmmaking. Oh, m- big time! Yeah, that's God, why that's I was so nerdy. I'm so sorry. That's listeners. why. Well, that's why I mentioned Chinatown before because that's. The clo- that's so what that re- this reminds me of, and, it re- and there's also that aspect and like and you, Taxi you, Driver and Raging Bull. Yeah, oh, sorry, it was Taxi Driver was the thing you mentioned at the start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, guess what he what? wrote? The Fall, the 2006 Lee Pace movie that Did you he? love. Yeah, <laughs> I do. I love that movie. Yeah, you will eventually watch it. I I will one day. It is, but you know, the best thing about it isn't necessarily the script, but it's got a pretty good script. Yeah, this is actually his first film as director, but he's been a writer for a while. There's also something like the I keep thinking about you know the way he. Jake Gyllenhaal walks in this like he's got like his you can see oh, all the tendons the in his neck but his sh- shoulders are so hunched over yeah he's it's like a class in acting as to how you manage the physicality of an act, uh, of your character mm. like the the way he hunches his shoulders or puts that pulls them back when he's feeling confident and he's really good at physically embodying what he's feeling yeah. without having to say anything or do or you know contort his face really mm. and speaking of the whole um the technicality side of it the costume design is really good too because he he starts out in clothes that don't fit him. Yeah, and, and, and as he earns more money. Yeah. yeah, uh, And also because as he becomes more and more confident and more slick yeah. and people start buying his act more, mm. he goes into the things that clothes that fit him. And, and he, starts he buys his own act. Yeah. yeah. I, well, I think that w- it was interesting how also he, like when he first made money, the thing he chose to do was like buy this massively conspicuous car. Everybody else who does the job, like, he starts off in this battered up old Corolla and then all the other people who do the job are just in, like, really plain vans, you know, like TV trucks, which makes total sense because that's the kind of job it is. But he buy he, instead of, like, buying himself a van or, like, a slightly more upgraded model of his car, he buys himself this bright red Mustang. Mm. And it's it makes so much noise. It's completely unsubtle, and he's like tailing people, which is ridiculous. And but he doesn't care. He doesn't. Yeah, it's it is all about him. Like he is the story. By but that not point. just that, he doesn't like he 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 doesn't think there's any consequences for his actions. Yeah, and basically there aren't. Well, even right down to the bit where. Uh, right at the end where the guy in the van has shot and killed Rick. Well, he hasn't quite killed him yet, but he's shot Rick. Gyllenhaal is standing, his, um, Lou Bloom's character is just standing right there in the firing line and he doesn't, he's film, filming away, shooting in the um, camera sense, filming away and he doesn't shoot him. Mm. He just keeps, walks off. That was actually one of the things I didn't like. I was like, that does not make sense. He would shoot at him. Yeah. Um, that and when Rick is dying, what he says is really super on the nose. It really <laughs> super is. Super corny. Like, no, but the, the thing is, he's dying. He's hurting and he's sitting there, like, just having a conversation. 
just chatting. Yeah. I was like, this is no. not, no, I don't like this. And then he closes his eyes to die. Yeah. Like that took me out of it a lot, mm. which kind of upset me because I was so impressed with everything else. Mm. So I think like there were a couple of, there's a couple of moments earlier on that were a little bit on the nose as well. Mm. Although there's a moment when he, uh, this is a good thing in favor of the movie that I suddenly remembered. You know that he's watching TV. Yep. He's watching some really old movie and it's not very funny and he just laughs at to himself mm. I thought that was an interesting little moment mm. like it's just a strange moment you know yes but that's perfectly in character yeah and he has just no sense of what humans would connect with yeah and I think that was one of those moments early on to try and unsettle you and make you realize what Lou's like mm-hmm. oh also Jake Gyllenhaal really hurt his hand when he did the um, mirror thing oh right yeah you know like, when he slams the mirror smashes the mirror yeah. and there's a there's a little blood stain on the mirror that is from Jekyll and Hall's hand. That's happened twice this year. Uh, there's that. And Channing Tatum hurt himself when he uh, was filming something, which I'm sure we have to see because he's very intense in it. And he slams his head into a wall Jeez. and they, they, they like made it all safe. And then he managed to not only, he slammed his head right through like a mirror and then the wall. Yeah. There you go. Sounds like we need to see it. <laughs> That's yes. terrifying. Well, yeah, that mirror scene, that actually felt a little bit on the nose to me because yeah. it's, it was just a bit too much, a bit too corny, a bit too cliched. I didn't I didn't think that so much as I thought it would have been better if there was a little bit more build-up to, like, of his feelings to that. Yeah, it's, it, it's the, not subtle. No, the thing that had made him upset had just happened and I felt like a couple more things should have happened to, you know, build him up and he should have mm. – uh, because he is somebody who would probably let out the rage in really big ways. Yeah, yeah, because he's got no based resilience. On what I know, it, it is something that he, he would be like somebody who just, bang, gets really, really angry really yeah. fast. But I think we should have been able to see the build up a little bit more because really he would have reacted with that anger when he was in the situation if that were the case. Yes. You know, otherwise well, it would have been a couple of things and then we see that happening. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, although he is one for, like, delaying things so that he doesn't show them in front of other people. Yeah. Like, like the whole but no, deciding to kill Rick thing. Yeah, I know, but also, like, the deciding to th- kill Rick thing wasn't really anger-based to him, mm. I don't think. It was it was um, an exchange. It was exchange-based. It was the fair negotiation. It was the fair negotiation. Rick took that away from him. He had to take something away from Rick. Uh, Rick was probably going to tell on him anyway, so the only logical thing to do is to – I don't think mm. that that was like – I don't think he did that because he was angry, mm. which is almost worse, really. Yeah, but I really don't think he killed him because he was angry. Yeah. He was just like, no, you took that away from me, and then I had to do this. Mm. Whereas the other, the other thing that made him angry was that he was failing and not getting to that because that was his obsession, right? Mm. His goal was his obsession. He's very tunnel visioned. When that's not happening, that's what's upsetting him. That's what makes him angry. Yeah. And then when um, Nina stands in the way of that, that makes him angry. But it, but Nick didn't really stand in the way of that. Mm. Rick, sorry, Rick. Rick didn't really stand in the way of that. He just kind of he he did something that to, in Lou's mind was unforgivable. Mm-hmm. Um, there was something else you wanted to talk about, I think, as well. No, I can't. Oh, I can't remember the cop. Now. The cop. Oh, oh yes. So, did you read this week the essay that Chris Rock wrote in the Hollywood Reporter? I did. The, yeah, it's an excellent it's essay. Accompanied by a great picture of him too. Yeah, that too. Um, we will link it in the show notes. It is a fabulous essay about race in Hollywood 
through the lens of his career and his experiences. And he says something r- brilliant. Really, it is a really, like, good, really read. good read. And it's it's long, but it, it felt like it took me like two minutes to read. I didn't it think amazing. it was that long. Um, yes, but it, it, it won't take you long and you should rush out and read it and we'll put it on in the show notes. But it is in The Hollywood R- Reporter if you just want to like Google right now. Anyway, he wrote this wonderful essay about race in Hollywood, like some fabulous observations about – the way Latinas and Latinos are treated in Hollywood and black people and his experiences and a really wonderful bit about, which, sorry, this is slightly off topic, a bit about how black people will rush to Tyler Perry movies, even if they're not very good because they're so excited to see themselves on screen and women do the same with movies like Sex in the City, which everybody else is like shitting all over, but women are like, we finally get a movie that's about us and we're going to go and we're going to enjoy it and we're going to spend money on it. Anyway. Which is why movies like The Heat do so well. Yeah, exactly, because we're so excited just to have anything that will will show up to it in numbers but also and the, also the heat but the is heat good, is so. actually good like sex and when the city you, when you is, combine good and yeah like, but but we'll turn up to crap like sex in the city or even not very good stuff like bridesmaids mm. because we're just desperate but he also says something really really insightful and like it's one of those ones that we might have missed because it's a blind spot but he's like you never see black women in movies you never just like the receptionist isn't just a, a black woman you he's he can't he's he talks about counting the black women you see on screen and you just hardly see any, not even in little extra spots, not even just showing up randomly. And this movie has one very like major role, fairly major role that is doesn't have to be a person of any race or gender, but it is a black woman and is also a slightly fat black woman, which I was even more excited about. And She was really great. I, too. I think there's actually two. I think earlier on. So somebody she's in, really good because she holds her own against yeah. Jake Gyllenhaal in this big time, really big role. So yeah, she's yeah, good. she does a great job. And, she, and I wish I'd looked up her name before we did uh, this. We, yeah, well, you can look that up now if you want. She's the detective who arrests him in, or tries to arrest him in the end. But I believe there's an, a couple of earlier ones as well where the um it's got more, a lot of morning news readers and they're usually a man and a woman team. But a lot there is at least one black woman, at least two Asian women who just sort of happen to be there in small roles. And it kind of – it's a, an actual real representation of L.A. and mm-hmm. its actual diversity. And I think that something was something that speaks to this film. But, yes, read Chris Rock's essay because it is really good and he's very smart. It's interesting because I'm not the biggest fan in the world of Chris Rock. But he's incredibly insightful about this kind of stuff. And yeah. he, he knows – like he talks about how isolated he is in the business being like yeah, one of Yeah, and you'd think he could tell less sexist jokes if that's the case. But yeah. whatever. This yeah. this particular essay is terrific. Do you want to do the wrap up? Oh, oh, we haven't given star grades. Oh, uh a four and a half. Oh wow. Um maybe a three and a half for me. <laughs> anyway, thank you. But you very- didn't say anything about what you didn't like about it. You should tell me. I didn't like how uncomfortable and unpleasant it made me feel. <laughs> okay. I have this like attraction to morality tales and comeuppance and fairness in oh, movies. Oh, I do too. I just when I, it's a movie that's really good. Yeah. You know, oh, that's all right. Um I think we crosses sim- over and we had a similar split on um Mocking Jay, I think, um, which we similarly raved about. Um yeah, three and a half for me. Anyway, thank you very much for listening to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. If you would like to read the show notes, they are at silverscreenqueens.com. If you want to read Katie's review of Nightcrawler and any other movies that she watches, they're on her blog, silverscreenqueen.wordpress.com. We're on Twitter at screen underscore queens. We are on Facebook. Just search for Silver Screen Queens. We are there. Uh, And we're on Tumblr, tumblr tumblr.silverscreenqueens.com. Thank you very much for listening. Bye. And I will try to get off TV trips for long enough to say goodbye.